Season two of my eight week online group coaching program is starting again on Monday, June 8th. The program comes with a digital workbook, pre-recorded trainings, live Q&A coaching calls, and an online private group for support and community. If you are interested in growing personally, evolving, and shedding some layers in this season of your life, I invite you to register now. You can do so by going to www.cassandraaustin.com forward slash T-A-L-G course. I will also post the link in the show notes. Welcome, welcome. This is Cassandra Austin McDonald with the Grow Through It podcast, where I share my personal life experiences and the stories of others who have grown through life's ups and downs and came out on the other side. Listen in as you may become inspired to evolve into the best version of yourself. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Grow Through It podcast. I'm your host, Cassandra Austin McDonald, and today I have with me a special guest and a longtime childhood friend, Dr. Deanna Lewis. Welcome, Deanna. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Cassandra. It's, it's a pleasure and an honor for, for you to have me. Um, I, I definitely thank you for using your platform to to interview me, and I, I can just see how God is continually using you as a vessel to bless others, and and I definitely see the fruits of your labor through your podcast, your your insta, uh, social media pages, and how you are able to to work through others and I definitely see it and I see a, a great future <laughs> ahead of you <laughs> and uh, yeah it's, it's definitely an honor to, to be here. Thank you I wasn't even expecting all that I was like <laughs> and me all in my feelings. <laughs> oh thank you so much that was really sweet of you. You're welcome. Um, so for the listeners, I just want, I always like to give everyone a little background on how I know my guests. And Deanna and I go way, way back to our high school track and field days. We actually went to uh, two different schools, but we always saw each other at events. And so, um, and I think over time, then social media comes along and you start reconnecting with people through social media. So we've known each other for, for a long time. And it's just been an honor to watch your journey. You've inspired me tremendously. Oh, watching, you. <laughs> watching your journey um, with everything, with education, fitness. Well, with all that being said, let me say your bio so that we can give you a proper introduction and we'll just jump right in. So... You guys, Dr. Deanna Lewis, is an, her academic career began at the University of Illinois, where she earned her Bachelor of Science degree in Health Planning and Administration. After leaving the University of Illinois, she worked at Washington University's McDonald Genome Institute, where her analytical and computation skills played an integral part in mapping the Human Genome Project. She then continued her education at the University of Pittsburgh, where she received a master's in public health and genetics, as well as a PhD in human genetics. 
Dr. Lewis is the first African-American woman to graduate with a PhD from the University of Pittsburgh Graduate School of Public Health and Human Genetics with a specialization in statistical genetics. Woo! <laughs> No, I just love that because it gave me goosebumps thinking that like saying that. Currently, Dr. Deanna Lewis is serving as a postdoctoral fellow at the Computational and Statistical Genomics Research Institute. She has a passion for investigating the genetic mechanisms underlying diseases that disproportionately affect African Americans in comparison to other races and ethnicities. Dr. Lewis has also um, has a keen interest in nutrition and health, where she holds certifications in holistic nutrition and personal fitness trainer. In 2019, she earned her Organization of Competitive Bodybuilders OCB Pro Card in Women's Bikini Division. Welcome again, Dr. Lewis, for being here on the Girl Through It podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Cassandra. You have such the bio. I'm just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's, am- it's amazing reading that. And just, I remember when, um, when so you guys, Deanna's a twin, and her sister, Kiana, and I have always been really close friends, too. And I remember when your sister was telling me about you going for your PhD, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just thought that was the coolest thing, you know, because it's interesting how like we all come from the same hometown and we saw right. our athletic journeys, but then to see, you know, who we've become now as adults. So can you share with us like how, what even led you down this path of going in the academic and professional career you chose? Oh, wow. Um, first, I would have to say that, you know, the, the education path was modeled by um, my, my father, um, who is a first generation college student, which makes me second generation. And just seeing how my aunts and uncles, you know, had higher degrees and the, the journey that they went through to achieve it, like that was always modeled in my life. Mm-hmm. And um, and even in elementary school, as far as I can remember, like I've always had an interest in <clears throat> the sciences, uh, health or medicine. Like I remember asking my parents for science kits for Christmas and birthdays and microscopes and, and things of that nature. So I've oh, always, wow. been, <laughs> always been intrigued with uh, science. And even throughout elementary and high school, I was always involved in programs that facilitated mentorships for students um, who wanted to be doctors or scientists. And my mentors happened to be uh, women that looked like me. So I had a mentor who was a physician, who was Mm -hmm. a scientist. So that kind of shaped my my thoughts as well as uh, my journey. You know, if, if they can hold higher degrees and be doctors, lawyers, you know, so can I. I'm so glad you said that because the first thought I had was hearing you say like ever since you were a little girl that you were fascinated with science and I wanted to ask like do you recall if you had any peers who looked like you who had that same interest? Early on um, not a lot there were mostly you know peers that didn't look like me who were not of color Mm -hmm. who were more interested in in the science. I remember being like the only black person in my physiology course, you know, that was an elective that you can choose to take over um, other science courses. And 
I was the only black person who was interested in that course. Mm. So, you know, it, it wasn't a lot growing up. And do you think that you having, like you said, having people who modeled for you, like the possibilities that existed, that kind of like helped you have that frame of mind that, oh, this is possible for me too? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, with my father, he would always push, you know, education as one thing that anyone, no one can take away from you is your, your education. So he would actively get us involved in things that he thought would foster our, our education and career growth. That's awesome. I really do think that that does play a role in the way that people see themselves and um, just the possibilities, you know, if it's, if it's something they can achieve or not, because if it's, I think if you don't have that modeled for you and have those role models, then it could be easy to wonder, like, is this something I can even do? Right. So when you're, you're going down this, this unique path and did you have any times where you kind of like started off at, in one area and then decided to make a switch or what did that look like? Yeah. So fast forward to undergrad, I um, really thought that I wanted to be a doctor and um, I, I took some, some hardcore, I believe it was organic chemistry or might've been physics or might've been both. Any, anyway, like two of those classes were extremely difficult mm -hmm. and it basically like killed, you know, my GPA. And I also had the opportunity because I wanted to be a forensic pathologist. So I um, had the opportunity to, to shadow one and I had to attend an autopsy. And I knew right then and there, like I felt sick to my stomach. Mm. Um, you know, I, I just couldn't stand the sight of it. And I'm just like, yeah, maybe this is not for me after all. <laughs> I feel you on that. I always wonder how, how physicians do it because, um, you know, just seeing a dead caucus on the side of the road and I'm like, hey. right. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even imagine like a human. Oh my goodness. Woo. Exactly. So is that what kind of gave you like that inkling of, uh, I don't think this is for me. I'm a yeah, but I was still interested in, you know, science and health. So I found this other major, which is community health that I was interested in that gave me the ability to still do the research and, and the science behind it and not just be involved with, um, you know, treating people of blood or dead bodies of things of that nature. Mm -hmm. So I, I made the switch and I believe it was my sophomore year. Yes, sophomore year of undergrad. And I also had the opportunity to um, work in an analytical chemistry lab that gave me the ability to sort of like develop my analytical skills that I would need further um, into the career that I am in now. Oh, okay. So did you know back then when you made that switch that you would go to the path that you're on now with um, doing everything that you do? Or was it something that kind of unfolded over time? Uh, it was something that kind of unfolded over time. Like in undergrad, when I made the switch, I just thought like, okay, I'm going to get a job as an administrative role in a hospital and do a bunch of public health and community work. Um, and it didn't turn out like that. I uh, eventually 
graduated and I was still working at the analytical chemistry lab and our grant had ran out. So basically the, my professor had no money um, to fund me any, any longer. So mm -hmm. I had, had to make that decision like, okay, what do I do now? Do I apply for, for jobs or do I go back home? or do I go into grad school? And at the time, I think I was just so burnt out of school that I felt like I needed to gain some sort of work experience. Mm -hmm. And um, I went home and my dad told me that, okay, kid, you have a month to get a job. I don't know, I don't care where you get a job, you have to you know, <laughs> get a job because you can't you know, stay at home with no job, so you gotta make it happen. Yeah. So I ended up applying to like this research, this computational research position at Washington University. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get the job because they said, you know, I didn't have the computational skills, but I ended up getting a call back from their outreach department. So I received a call back from uh, a woman that is now my, my mentor offering a position at the outreach department and uh, which Basically, I would have to go out and perform outreach activities, um, teach students about genetics and biology, and help develop curriculums for our interns um, at the time. And what she did was, you know, she told me that I, I know that you really want this job, but you didn't get it. What I can do is teach you everything about computation and um, computer programming outside of the job so when you apply you know you're able to to get the job so mm -hmm. I really thank her because she took the time to like teach me everything that I needed to know um, in terms of the computational skills that I needed to, mm -hmm. to receive that job. That's a blessing so it's like you had a mentor it was almost, it sounds like a godsend like a mentor just right. falling in your lap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like it was divine, you know, the way that it unfolded. Do you think that you would be able to do what you did as far as going down this path that led you to your PhD program without her mentorship? Oh, man. Um, not in the position that I am in today. I think it would have been difficult, you know, because mm -hmm. she was the main connect um, to the people that I needed to to know to get to where I am now and she mm -hmm. was the person that inspired me to not only settle for an undergraduate degree but pursue my master's as well as um, my doctoral doctorate degree. That's amazing you know I'm just thinking about how many times um, people like pray for a mentor, right? Like mm -hmm. whatever phase of life they're in, they're like, man, I need a mentor. And I even think about, you know, when I got pregnant with Amari in undergrad and I had a mentor who was like, oh, you can finish and you can do well. Fin like she just wasn't going. She's like, no, ma'am, you're going to finish. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yes, we you all know? need those type of mentors. Yeah. And I just, I think that they're the people who come along the way to say like, you can do it. You can do it. I just think that's so great. That's so great that you were able to have that come along your path at a time where it seems like it was a pivotal moment for you. Yes, I mean, it was definitely, definitely a blessing. That's awesome. So 
moving along to you you have this encounter with this mentor who kind of like takes your journey to another level what did it look like for you when it comes to now you're you're doing your master's program you're going to go into this phd program like when as it pertains to um the the field that you were going into did you battle with like any imposter syndrome or anything like that because i know like the higher levels we reach for it seems like it's that's when you start to struggle with those types of things that i hear a lot of people say oh yeah for yeah definitely um struggle with the imposter syndrome and for those who don't know what the imposter syndrome is it's basically when you have feelings that relate to inadequacy Mm -hmm. despite to the contrary um, of evidence. So if you feel that you don't belong here, but there's evidence that suggests otherwise, you know, mm -hmm. that's the imposter syndrome in a nutshell. <clears throat> but yeah, you know, I struggle with that, especially in the PhD program because it was such a subset of individuals in that program, I think it was maybe about 10 of us. And of course, you know, I was the, the only black and, you know, you have feelings where I felt like because I didn't have a hardcore statistical and computational background, mm -hmm. I, ba I basically, you know, it was self-taught from my mentor into doing things on my own. You know, a lot of these uh, students majored in, you know, statistics and were doing programming. In, in high school, I never heard of like computer programming in high school. We just didn't have it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, being in class where, you know, people are so advanced and you're struggling to, to get to that point, you kind of question like, okay, am I really smart enough to be here? Was there a glitch in the system, you know? Mm, wow. <laughs> and then, you know, I have to, to counter those thoughts with real life evidence you know, just knowing that it's hard to get into the PhD program. Like they don't admit any dummies or anything like that. Like yeah. you have to be the cream of the crop and it's you something about it. you, right. That sets you apart from any other students to get in that program. So I had to remind myself, okay, like I'm uniquely, you know, I uh, have my, my strengths that set me apart from other students. I'm supposed to be here. I'm smart enough. I'm just as capable and just, you know, delving into the word of God and knowing who I am through Christ, that I am a child of God. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, his promises that, you know, kept me through thinking negative and, and things of that nature. And, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it was very difficult. <clears throat> and still to this day, like I was talking to um, uh, some colleagues of mine who are black women and, you know, we still have those um imposter syndrome thoughts you know from time yeah, to time so yeah. i feel like it's, it's an ongoing struggle especially for for people of color yeah i can totally relate and understand that um and i'm glad that you brought up your faith because i wanted to ask you for a follow-up question how did you get through those moments where you were struggling with the imposter syndrome and um, kind of questioning, like, you know, why am I in this program? Like, was it your faith that you think helped you to stick with it and see it through? Yeah, I mean, I definitely owe it all to to my faith and just countering those those thoughts with the Word of God and staying connected to um, community and 
and staying in fellowship with other believers who, you know, prayed for me when I didn't feel like praying. Mm. Um, so that's, that definitely helped out a lot. I'm so glad you mentioned that because um, on the Growth Threat podcast, I always like to highlight that middle piece where, you know, it can kind of be a moment for people where they either quit and throw in the towel or they persevere and they, you know, continue to press on. And I'm always curious to see like, what was the thing for each individual person that helped them to persevere and and continue on when a lot of people, you know, they get those thoughts and feelings and they're like, forget this. And they throw in the towel and they find something else to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, Go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's, it's, it's interesting to hear like everybody's different unique ways of dealing with, with life and how they persevere through things. Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to finishing out this PhD and, and earning, I remember when we were chatting, um, just kind of talking about the podcast and the interview and stuff like that. And you were sharing like what it took for you to finish your dissertation. Do you mind sharing some of that with, um, with the listeners? Cause I thought it was an incredible story of like, man, you really like grinding it out. <laughs> <laughs> so in my second, second or third year into the PhD program, I had the opportunity to do an internship with um, one of the top known statistical geneticists um, in the States. And um, I took that opportunity and did an internship for two years and had a wonderful experience. And fast forward a year later, um, my advisor that I interned for had a postdoctoral position up. And I was just like, man, I really want to work with her. I know I'm kind of still early into the PhD program or I'm still, you know, analyzing some data. I haven't started my dissertation yet, Mm -hmm. but I'm just going to apply just for, you know, just for experience and see Mm -hmm. if I get it or not. I'm pretty sure I won't get it. So anyway, I applied and I ended up getting the postdoc position and it was contingent on me finishing up my dissertation by August and I heard about it in I believe it was March March yeah April and March mm-hmm. so I came to my advisor it's just like you know I got this position is it feasible for me to complete my dissertation in six months that mm-hmm. anything is possible if you believe it <laughs> 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 and she's looking at me, you know, she's giving me that look like, yeah. I don't think you're a kid, but you know, it's up to you. So from that day on, I slept for maybe two to three hours, just, you know, in my apartment that had no air condition. I mean, 90 degrees in the apartment. I'm like dishing out this dissertation. Um, I'm taking like 20 minutes cat naps and and waking up just to remind myself to eat. I mean, it was to the point where I was just exhausted. I remember like sleeping in the bathtub with clothes on, (laughs) thinking I was gonna take a bath. And you know, it was to the point where dishes were getting piled up and I was drinking out of a bowl instead of a cup. You know, it was just getting crazy. And I cut my hair because I didn't want to be dealing with my hair. So anything that was a distraction, like I cut the cable, I cut my hair, you know, I was just in the library or in my apartment just dishing out that dissertation. 
And I did it. And it was to the point where after I defended, you know, my family's that my family was excited, my mother's crying, my, my father's crying. And I wanted to cry, but I was so dehydrated, <laughs> like I couldn't squeeze out a tear. Oh my <laughs> and my goodness. advisor was just like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to cry, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So right there, I feel like it's like a prime example of like perseverance in the human will, but like also like oh my gosh like I can't even like everything you were describing I'm getting all these visuals in my mind like <laughs> crazy because people always say like how people will like glorify you know what they see but they don't know the story behind it like oh you you see my glory but you don't know my story type of thing right and it's like behind the scenes like you see if you people saw that it's like would you really be envious or whatever it is you may experience with people with you know with you what you've achieved because you had to put in a lot of work to get that yes a lot of sweat a lot of a lot of tears a lot of sleepless nights you name it <laughs> wow oh, that's awesome and so you 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 were finally able to overcome that hurdle get it done and and get to where you're at now and um i just think what you're doing is amazing and just even thinking about where we're at right now with the um with covid 19 and the pandemic do you do any work when it comes to like that type of research no we we don't do any of the uh the covid 19 although we have been asked to sort of like volunteer Mm -hmm. and do some uh, analyses on, on the data so we might get that project within um a couple months or so okay so, we'll see. so you may be a part of uh history in a way again yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's so many scientists who are trying to get the you know their hands on this data and just analyze it and um you know get some publications out of it so we'll see yeah yeah well, I kind of wanted to shift gears here um, and just touch a bit on your pro card because you are um, a bikini competitor. So what got, what got you into that? It started after um, I received the postdoc position. So once you transition from like academia into um, a, a more stable and independent position, um, Sort of things sort of shift in a, in a way that you are more active on campus, you're walking around, uh, you're doing more exercising, and then I went from doing that to just a sedentary lifestyle where I'm just at a computer all day, uh, analyzing data, crunching numbers, mm -hmm. and I just noticed a lot of weight just gained. I gained within two or three months. And I was just like, I don't like this. <laughs> I need to do something about it. And I didn't have the knowledge to, to just go out and work out on my own and do the nutrition stuff on my own. So I sought after a personal trainer mm -hmm. and kind of went from there. And I worked with him for about a year and a half. And I um, saw how his body sort of transformed over the time he was sort of a, a, a football player you know stocky dude and mm -hmm. he was a competitor in bodybuilding and I saw when he competed how his body sort of transformed into like this action figure 
Oh, I was wow. just like, oh, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he said, you know, I think you, I think you could really do bikini competition if you wanted to. Like, you have the frame for it, and um, you have a, a beautiful smile, and I think you have a, a great stage presence. You should definitely try it. And at first, I'm just like, oh, I'm not getting on stage, you know, half naked. Yeah. <laughs> it's bikini. And then he was just like, you know, really think about it. And I thought about it. And I I also wanted to transform my fitness into another level. I also mm-hmm. wanted to to get outside of my comfort zone, um, in which I had some reclusive tendencies that I developed in graduate school. Mm-hmm. Well, I was a bit reserved and shy. And I thought, you know, maybe this book allowed me to step outside my comfort zone, you know, walking on stage um, in a bikini and a bunch of people looking at you. Like, yeah. <laughs> that don't think you could get more vulnerable than yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it definitely <laughs> gets you outside of your, your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So really, it just started with you wanting to release some weight to you challenging yourself to grow. I think that's amazing because you just having that awareness of like, where you were, how you got there, and then what you thought it would take to help you to to grow out of that. Right. So how did it get to the point where, did you get your pro card in your first competition or did you have to compete a few times? How did that, how did that pan out? So my first competition, which was my amateur competition, I was really close to getting the pro card. It was down and we basically had to do like a pose out on stage. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what that was at the time. Like I was still behind stage and they were calling my name to get on stage. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, what is this? So they called my name. And then I hear my, my coach in the audience, he's saying, pose, you know, you need to pose. So I was like, oh, okay. So, <laughs> you know, all the girls are hitting the poses. They're like, bam, bam, bam. And I was like a little bit thrown off. Yeah. So, um, I, I believe that was like one of the reasons I didn't get the pro card. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, the, the woman that got the pro card, she was definitely, her stage presence was on point, her posing, and she had uh, more muscle than me. So, you know, she definitely deserved that position. So it just made me work harder, you know, for the second time around. You know, I definitely had my my goals set on receiving my, my pro card. And I did. How much time was in between from when you had your amateur show to when you actually received your pro card? So it was a year in between. Okay. Yeah. And you were just, you were just training for that entire year for this next opportunity. Right. So the, the period where you're training is typically called your um, improvement season. Mm-hmm. So for a couple months, you you bulk up, meaning um, you're you're eating more food to to um, to gain more muscle. Um, you're doing a little bit of cardio, not as much, and then you get to a prep season where you're cutting back on your carbs and you're starting to cut down on fat. And it's kind of like each week you're chiseling away at fat, and you're starting to see you know, more muscles, more striations. So that prep period can last for about three to six months, depending on your, your body type. 
and your discipline. Mm. So I remember when we were talking about this, you had a shoulder injury during this time, right? Yes. So about a month out from my competition, I pulled uh, a muscle in my shoulder and it caused me like basically, I thought I had a pinched nerve, but it was more of a um, tendonitis mm-hmm. injury. And I couldn't lift five pounds, you know, with one arm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So that, I mean, that was a setback because we were still, you know, lifting at that time to preserve the muscle that we had. Right. So I, I didn't think my shoulders would be, you know, develop enough and competitive to, to win my pro card. So, you know, I, I got a little down in the press, but I, I worked through it and did what I can and I didn't want to sustain any additional injuries. So, you know, I just did what I can and work with what I had. And so you were still able to get your pro card despite that setback. Yeah, I mean, apparently the judges thought my my shoulders look great. So <laughs> I think it's all in our minds sometimes, you know, we're, we criti- have the tendency to sort of criticize ourselves more than we should, you know. That is so true. I'm so glad you brought up the mindset piece because I do feel like a lot of times um, we can be guilty of being our own worst critic and that could actually make whatever perceived setback we have actually make it worse. Right. What do you think contributes to you having the mindset that you have? Uh, I've always had like this tenacious go-getter, like discipline mindset. And I was actually thinking about this the other day. I was like, where did this come from? Like I... Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've had family members that that model it, but I think it was just ingrained in me, some shape or form. Like I've always been a, a go-getter since I can remember. Do you think, um, like, the support that you have from your family and what was modeled for you helped kind of shape that mindset for you? Yeah, definitely the the support and um, just knowing that you have to progressively like move forward. Like going back home was not an option for me. Like I, you know, just couldn't see myself going back home. If I didn't, if things didn't pan out the way I did, it happened out um, just to, to move forward and persevere and just do that throughout all areas of, of your life, basically. Yeah. Um. But I don't want to. I don't want to forget this. But you were the first woman to receive your pro card in a certain category, right? No. Or was no. that your trainer? Yeah, yeah. My trainer. Um, she is the first woman to receive her pro card at the um, OCB league. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And she's a black woman. So it sounds like you just had all these incredible people surrounded around you throughout your different journeys, whether it was your academia career or your um, or academic pursuits or your bodybuilding um, competition pursuits. Like, do you think that all, having these examples of these women who achieved these things kind of helped you to go after it? 
Yes, I mean, I think having great mentors, especially mentors who look like you and have been through similar situations as you or even worse, you know, just yeah. seeing that they made it and um, they persevered in spite of the obstacles that was set before them. So that definitely, definitely helped out a lot. What would you say to someone who um, maybe they don't have those examples, but they're in the middle of a rut and they're trying to persevere and get through? How would you um, share with them any tips or hacks that you have when it comes to just having a good mindset to keep pushing through? Uh, I would say that um, just to tune into your resilience and strengths that set you apart from from everyone else, mm-hmm. and um, definitely to reflect on experience that got you to the point in your life and assess what they taught you. Mm-hmm. I would also say seek out mentorships and not just seeking out a mentor just to see, you know, if they have connections, but have those meaningful relationships with them Mm -hmm. as you move on throughout life. um, Because you never know, like, I mean, your mentor can sort of like navigate and guide you to places that you know didn't, that you didn't know that exist. Mm-hmm. And, and you can have them for the rest of your life. It's, it's, it's meaningful relationships and, and friendships as well. <clears throat> and I would also say, you know, strengthen your relationship with, with Christ, you know. Yeah. You know, that's the, the foundation mm-hmm. of, you know, where you're going to pull that, that um, perseverance and the strength that you need because we can't do it alone. You know, I God agree. gives us the strength to do it. Ooh, honey. it's funny because anytime people ask me like how did you survive all the stuff I have and I'm and the first thing that comes out of my mouth is is my relationship with God I'm just like there's no way I'm like there's no way (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) I'm glad you said that um because I do feel like it's it's having that faith in something bigger than yourself you know like you can't I don't know. I feel like us as human beings, like when you try to depend on yourself, um, that'll only take you so far. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing um, just all of your wisdom and your, and your hacks even. And I really hope it inspires someone who is pursuing big goals and dreams. And even if they're in the midst of their pursuit, maybe they're feeling, um, discouraged or experience a setback just to see that they can persevere and get to the other side. Exactly. And thanks for having me, Cassandra. It's it's such a pleasure. You're welcome. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in and we'll see you all or I'll talk to y'all next time. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please make sure to subscribe, like, share, and leave your review for the podcast. To learn more, go to www.cassandraaustin.com.